Chapter Thirteen of The Double by Fedor Dostoevsky, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Thirteen. It seemed as though the weather meant to change for the better. The snow, which had till then been coming down in regular clouds, began growing visible, and here and there tiny stars sparkled in it. It was only wet, muddy, damp, and stifling, especially for Mr. Golyadkin, who could hardly breathe as it was. His greatcoat, soaked and heavy with wet, sent a sort of unpleasant warm dampness all through him, and weighed down his exhausted legs. A feverish shiver sent sharp, shooting pains all over him. He was in a painful cold sweat of exhaustion, so much so that Mr. Golyadkin even forgot to repeat at every suitable occasion, with his characteristic firmness and resolution, his favorite phrase that it all, maybe, most likely, indeed, might turn out for the best. But all this does not matter for the time, our hero repeated, still staunch and not downhearted, wiping from his face the cold drops that streamed in all directions from the brim of his round hat, which was so soaked that it could hold no more water. Adding that all this was nothing so far, our hero tried to sit on a rather thick clump of wood, which was lying near a heap of logs in Alsofi Ivanovitch's yard. Of course, it was no good thinking of Spanish serenades or silken ladders, but it was quite necessary to think of a modest corner, snug and private, if not altogether warm. He felt greatly tempted, we may mention in passing, by that corner in the back entry of Alsofi Ivanovitch's flat in which he had once, almost, almost at the beginning of this true story, stood for two hours between a cupboard and an old screen among all sorts of domestic odds and ends and useless litter. The fact is that Mr. Golyadkin had been standing, waiting for two whole hours on this occasion in Olsofy Ivanovitch's yard, but in regard to that modest and snug little corner there were certain drawbacks which had not existed before. The first drawback was the fact that it was probably now a marked place, and that certain precautionary measures had been taken in regard to it since the scandal at Olsovy Ivanovitch's last ball. Secondly, he had to wait for a signal from Clara Olsofievna, for there was bound to be some such signal. It was always a feature in such cases, and it didn't begin with us, and it won't end with us. At this point, Mr. Golyadkin very appropriately remembered a novel he had read long ago, in which the heroine, in precisely similar circumstances, signaled to Alfred by tying a pink ribbon to her window. But now at night, in the climate of Petersburg, famous for its dampness and unreliability, a pink ribbon was hardly appropriate, and, in fact, was utterly out of the question. No, it's not a matter of silk ladders, thought our hero, and I had better stay here quietly and comfortably. I had better stand here and he selected the place in the yard, exactly opposite the window, near a stack of firewood. Of course many persons, grooms and coachmen, were continually crossing the yard, and there was, besides, the rumbling of wheels and the snorting of horses and so on. Yet it was a convenient place, whether he was observed or not, but now, anyway, there was the advantage of being to some extent in the shadow, and no one could see Mr. Golyadkin, while he himself could see everything. The windows were brightly lit up. There was some sort of ceremonious party at Olsovy Ivanovitch's. 
but he could hear no music as yet so it's not a ball but a party of some other sort thought our hero somewhat aghast is it to-day floated the doubt through him have i made a mistake in the date perhaps anything is possible yes to be sure anything is possible perhaps she wrote a letter to me yesterday and it didn't reach me and perhaps it did not reach me because petrushka put his spoke in it the rascal or it was to-morrow that is wait with a carriage at this point our hero turned cold all over and felt in his pocket for the letter to make sure but to his surprise the letter was not in his pocket how's this muttered mr golyatkin more dead than alive where did i leave it then i must have lost it that is the last straw he moaned at last oh if it falls into evil hands perhaps it has already good lord what may it not lead to it may lead to something such that ah my miserable fate at this point mr golyatkin began trembling like a leaf at the thought that perhaps his vicious twin had thrown the grey coat at him with the object of stealing the letter of which he had somehow got an inkling from mr golyatkin's enemies what's more he's stealing it thought our hero as evidence but why evidence after the first shock of horror the blood rushed to mr golyatkin's head moaning and gnashing his teeth he clutched his burning head sank back on his block of wood and relapsed into brooding but he could form no coherent thought figures kept flitting through his brain incidents came back to his memory now vaguely now very distinctly the tunes of some foolish songs kept ringing in his ears he was in great distress unnatural distress my god my god our hero thought recovering himself a little and suppressing a muffled sob give me fortitude in the immensity of my afflictions that i am done for utterly destroyed of that there can be no doubt and that's all in the natural order of things since it cannot be otherwise to begin with i've lost my birth i've certainly lost it i must have lost it well supposing things are set right somehow supposing i have money enough to begin with i must have another lodging furniture of some sort in the first place i shan't have petrushka i can get on without the rascal somehow with help from the people of the house well that'll be all right i can go in and out when i like and petrushka won't grumble at me coming in late yes that is so that's why it's a good thing to have the people in the house well supposing that's all right but all that's nothing to do with it at this point the thought of the real position again dawned upon mr golyatkin's memory he looked round oh lord have mercy on me have mercy on me what am i talking about he thought growing utterly desperate and clutching his burning head in his hands won't you soon be going sir a voice pronounced above mr golyatkin our hero started before him stood his cabman who was also drenched through and shivering growing impatient and having nothing to do he had thought it fit to take a look at mr golyatkin behind the woodstack i am all right my friend i am coming soon soon very soon you wait the cabman walked away grumbling to himself what is he grumbling about mr golyatkin wondered through his tears why i have hired him for the evening why i'm within my rights now that's so i've hired him for the evening and that's the end of it if one stands still it's just the same that's for me to decide i am free to drive on or not to drive on and my staying here by the woodstack has nothing to do with the case and don't dare to say anything think the gentleman wants to stand behind the woodstack 
and so he's standing behind it and he is not disgracing anyone's honor that's the fact of the matter i tell you what it is madam if you care to know nowadays madam nobody lives in a hut or anything of that sort no indeed and in our industrial age there's no getting on without morality a fact of which you are in fatal example madam you say we must get a job as a register clerk and live in a hut on the seashore in the first place madam there are no register clerks on the seashore and in the second place we can't get a job as a register clerk for supposing for example i send in a petition present myself saying a register clerk's place or something of the sort and defend me from my enemy they'll tell you madam they'll say to be sure we've lots of register clerks and here you are not at madame farblay's where you learnt the rules of good behaviour of which you are a fatal example good behaviour madam means staying at home honouring your father and not thinking about suitors prematurely suitors will come in good time madam that's so of course you are bound to have some accomplishments such as playing the piano sometimes speaking french history geography scripture and arithmetic that's the truth of it and that's all you need cooking too cooking certainly forms part of the education of a well-behaved girl but as it is in the first place my fine lady they won't let you go they'll raise a hue and cry after you and then they'll lock you up in a nunnery how will it be then madam what will you have me do then would you have me madam follow the example of some stupid novels and melt into tears on a neighbouring hillock gazing at the cold walls of your prison-house and finally die following the example of some wretched german poets and novelists is that it madam but to begin with allow me to tell you as a friend that things are not done like that and in the second place i would have given you and your parents too a good thrashing for letting you read french books for french books teach you no good there's a poison in them a pernicious poison madam or do you imagine allow me to ask you or do you imagine that we shall elope with impunity or something of that sort that we shall have a hut on the shore of the sea and so on and that we shall begin building and cooing and talking about our feelings and that so we shall spend our lives in happiness and content and then there would be little ones so then we shall shall we go to our father the civil councillor osi ivanovitch and say we've got a little one and so on on this propitious occasion remove your curse and bless the couple no madam i tell you again that's not the way to do things and for the first thing there'll be no billing and cooing and please don't reckon on it nowadays madam the husband is a master and a good well-brought-up wife should try and please him in every way and endearments madam are not in favour nowadays in our industrial age the day of jean jacques rousseau is over the husband comes home for instance hungry from the office and asks isn't there something to eat my love a drop of vodka to drink a bit of salt fish to eat so then madam you must have the vodka and the herring ready your husband will eat it with relish and he won't so much as look at you he'll only say run into the kitchen kitten he'll say and look after the dinner and at most once a week he'll kiss you even then rather indifferently that's how it will be with us my young lady yes even then indifferently that's how it will be if one considers it if it has come to one's looking at the thing in that way and how do i come in why have i mixed you up in your caprices the noble man who is suffering for your sake and will be dear to your heart for ever and so on but in the first place madam i am not suited to you you know yourself i'm not a great hand at compliments i'm not fond of uttering perfumed trifles for the ladies i'm not fond of lady killers and i must own i've never been a beauty to look at you won't find any swagger or false shame in me and i tell you so now in all sincerity this is the fact of the matter 
we can boast of nothing but a straightforward open character and common sense we have nothing to do with intrigues i am not one to intrigue i say so and i am proud of it that's the fact of the matter i wear no mask among straightforward people and to tell you the whole truth suddenly mr gliadkin started the red and perfectly sopping beard of the cabman appeared round the wooden stack again i am coming directly my friend i am coming at once you know mr gliadkin responded in a trembling and failing voice the cabman scratched his head then stroked his beard and moved a step forward stood still and looked suspiciously at mr gliadkin i am coming directly my friend you see my friend i-i-just a little you see only a second uh, more here you see my friend aren't you coming at all the cabman asked at last and definitely coming up to mr gliadkin no my friend i am coming directly i am waiting you see my friend so i see you see my friend i uh, what part of the country do you come from my friend we are under a master and you have a good master all right yes my friend you stay here my friend you see have you been in petersburg long my friend it's a year since i came and are you getting on all right my friend middling to be sure my friend to be sure you must thank providence my friend you must look out for straightforward people straightforward people are none too common nowadays my friend he would give you washing food and drink my good fellow a good man would but sometimes you see tears shed for the sake of gold my friend you see a lamentable example that's the fact of the matter my friend the cabman seemed to feel sorry for mr gliadkin well your honor i'll wait will your honor be waiting long no my friend no i you know i won't wait any longer my good man what do you think my friend i rely upon you i won't stay any longer aren't you going at all no my friend no i'll reward you my friend that's the fact of the matter how much ought i to give you my dear fellow what you hired me for please sir i've been waiting here a long time don't be hard on a man sir well here my good man here at this point mr gliadkin gave six roubles to the cabman and made up in his mind in earnest to waste no more time that is to clear off straight away especially as the cabman was dismissed and everything was over and so it was useless to wait longer he rushed out of the yard went out of the gate turned to the left and without looking round took to his heels breathless and rejoicing perhaps it will be for the best he thought and perhaps in this way i've run away from trouble mr gliadkin suddenly became all at once light-hearted oh if only it could turn out for the best thought our hero though he put little faith in his own words i know what i'll do he thought no i know i better try the other tack or wouldn't it be better to do this in this way hesitating and seeking for the solution of his doubts our hero ran to semyonovsky bridge but while running to semyonovsky bridge he very rationally and conclusively decided to return it will be better so he thought i had better try the other tack that is i will just go i'll look on simply as an outsider an outsider or nothing more whatever happens it's not my fault that's the fact of the matter that's how it shall be now deciding to return our hero actually did return the more readily because with this happy thought he conceived of himself now as quite an outsider it's the best thing one's not responsible for anything and one will see all that's necessary that's the fact of the matter it was a safe plan and that settled it reassured he crept back under the peaceful shelter of his soothing 
and protecting woodstack and began gazing intently at the window this time he was not destined to gaze and wait long suddenly a strange commotion began apparent at all the windows figures appeared curtains were drawn back whole groups of people were crowding to the windows at olsafy ivanovitch's flat all were peeping out looking for something in the yard from the security of his woodstack our hero too began with curiosity watching the general commotion and with interest craned forward to right and to left as far as he could in the shadow of this woodstack suddenly he started held his breath and almost sat down with horror it seemed to him in short he realized that they were looking for nothing and for nobody but him mr goyadkin every one was looking in his direction it was impossible to escape they saw him in a flutter mr goyadkin huddled as closely as he could to the woodstack and only then noticed that the treacherous shadow had betrayed him they did not cover him completely our hero would have been delighted at that moment to creep into a mouse hole in the woodstack and there meekly to remain if only it had been possible but it was absolutely impossible in his agony he began at last staring openly and boldly at the windows it was the best thing to do and suddenly he glowed with shame he had been fully discovered every one was staring at him at once they were all waving their hands all were nodding their heads at him all were calling to him then several windows creaked as they opened and several voices shouted something to him at once i wonder why they don't whip these naughty girls as children our hero muttered to himself losing his head completely suddenly there down on the steps he we know who without his hat or greatcoat breathless rubbing his hands wriggling capering perfidiously displaying intense joy at seeing mr glyadkin yakov petrovitch whispered this individual so notorious for his worthlessness yakov petrovitch are you here you'll catch cold it's chilly here yakov petrovitch come indoors yakov petrovitch no i'm all right yakov petrovitch our hero muttered in a submissive voice no this won't do yakov petrovitch i beg you i humbly beg you to wait with us make him welcome and bring him in they say yakov petrovitch no yakov petrovitch you see i'd better i'd better go home yakov petrovitch said our hero burning at a slow fire and freezing at the same time with shame and terror no 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 whispered the loathsome person no 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 on no account come along he said resolutely and he dragged mr glyadkin senior to the steps mr glyadkin senior did not at all want to go but as every one was looking at them it would have been stupid to struggle and resist so our hero went though indeed one cannot say that he went because he did not know in the least what was being done with him though after all it made no difference before our hero had time to recover himself and come to his senses he found himself in the drawing-room he was pale dishevelled harassed with lustreless eyes he scanned the crowd horror the drawing-room all the rooms were full to overflowing there were masses of people a whole galaxy of ladies and all were crowding round mr goyadkin and he perceived clearly that they were all forcing him in one direction not towards the door was a thought that floated through mr goyadkin's mind they were in fact forcing him not towards the door but olsafy ivanovitch's easy-chair on one side of the armchair stood clara olsafyevna pale languid melancholy but gorgeously dressed mr goyadkin was particularly struck by a little white flower which rested on her superb hair on the other side of the armchair stood vladimir semyonovitch 
clad in black, with his new order in his buttonhole. Mr. Goyakin was led in, as we have described above, straight up to Olsevi Ivanovitch. On one side of him, Mr. Goyakin, Jr., who had assumed an air of great decorum and propriety, to the immense relief of our hero, while on the other side was Andrei Filipovitch, with a very solemn expression on his face. "'What can it mean?' Mr. Goyakin wondered. When he saw that he was being led to Olsevi Ivanovitch, an idea struck him like a flash of lightning. The thought of the intercepted letter darted through his brain. In great agony, our hero stood before Olsevi Ivanovitch's chair. "'What will he say now?' he wondered to himself. "'Of course, it will be all above board now. That is straightforward and, one may say, honourable. I shall say this is how it is, and so on.' But what our hero apparently feared did not happen. Olsevi Ivanovitch received Mr. Lyatkin very warmly, and though he did not hold out his hand to him, yet as he gazed at our hero, he shook his grey and venerable head, shook it with an air of solemn melancholy, and yet of goodwill. So at least, it seemed to Mr. Lyatkin, he even fancied that a tear glittered in Olsevi Ivanovitch's lustreless eyes. He raised his eyes and saw that there seemed to be tears, too, on the lashes of Clara Olsevevna, who was standing by, that there seemed to be something of the same sort even in the eyes of Vladimir Semyonovitch, that the unruffled and composed dignity of Andrei Filipovitch has the same significance as a general cheerful sympathy, that even the young man, who was so much like a civil counsellor, seizing the opportunity, was sobbing bitterly, though perhaps this was only all Mr. Gekin's fancy, because he was so much moved himself, and distinctly felt the hot tears running down his cheeks. Feeling reconciled with mankind, and his destiny, and filled with love at the moment, not only for Olsevi Ivanovitch, not only for the whole part collected here, but even for his noxious twin, who seemed now to be by no means noxious, and not even to be his twin at all, but a person very agreeable in himself, and in no way connected with him. Our hero, in a voice broken with sobs, tried to express his feelings to Olsevi Ivanovitch, but was too much overcome by all that he had gone through, and could not utter a word. He could only, with an expressive gesture, point meekly to his heart. At last, probably to spare the feelings of the old man, Andrei Filipovitch led Mr. Golyatkin a little away, though he seemed to leave him free to do as he liked. Smiling, muttering something to himself, somewhat bewildered, yet almost completely reconciled with fate and his fellow-creatures, our hero began to make his way through the crowd of guests. Everyone made way for him. Everyone looked at him with strange curiosity, and with mysterious, unaccountable sympathy. Our hero went into another room. He met with the same attention everywhere. He was vaguely conscious of the whole crowd closely following him, noting every step he took, talking in undertones among themselves of something very interesting, shaking their heads, arguing and discussing in whispers. Mr. Goyakin wanted very much to know what they were discussing in whispers. Looking round, he saw near him, Mr. Goyakin, Jr., feeling an overwhelming impulse to seize his hand and draw him aside, Mr. Goyakin begged the other, Yakov Petrovitch, most particularly, to cooperate with him in all his future undertakings, and not to abandon him at a critical moment. Mr. Goyakin, Jr. nodded his head gravely, and warmly pressed his hand of Mr. Goyakin, Sr. Our hero's heart was quivering with the intensity of his emotion. He was gasping for breath, however. He felt so oppressed, so oppressed, he felt that all those eyes fastened upon him were oppressing and dominating him. Mr. Goyadkin caught a glimpse of the counsellor, who wore a wig. The latter was looking at him with a stern, searching eye, not in the least softened by the general sympathy. 
our hero made up in his mind to go straight up to him in order to smile at him and have an immediate explanation but this somehow did not come off for one instant mr Lyadkin came almost unconscious almost lost all memory all feeling when he came to himself again he noticed that he was the centre of a large ring formed by the rest of the party round him suddenly mr Lyadkin's name was called from the other room noise and excitement all rushed to the door of the first room almost carrying our hero along with them in the crush the hard-hearted counsellor in the wig was side by side with mr Lyadkin, at some distance from the latter however every one in the room sat down the guests were arranged in rows around mr Lyadkin and osophy ivanovitch everything was hushed everyone preserved a solemn silence everyone was watching osophy ivanovitch evidently expecting something out of the ordinary mr Lyadkin noticed that beside osophy ivanovitch's chair and directly facing the counsellor sat mr Lyadkin jr with andrei Filipovitch. the silence was prolonged they were evidently expecting something just as it is in a family when someone is setting off on a far journey we've only to stand up and pray now thought our hero suddenly there was a general stir which interrupted mr Lyadkin's reflections something they had been waiting for happened he is coming he is coming passed from one to another in the crowd who is it that is coming floated through mr Lyadkin's mind and he shuddered at a strange sensation. "'High time, too,' said the counsellor, looking intently at Andrei Ivanovitch. Andrei Filipovitch, for his part, glanced at Osovy Ivanovitch. Osovy Ivanovitch gravely and solemnly nodded his head. "'Let us stand up,' said the counsellor, and he made Michigoyatkin get up. All rose to their feet. Then the counsellor took Michigoyatkin Sr. by the hand, and Andrei Filipovitch took Michigoyatkin Jr., and in this way these two precisely similar persons were conducted through the expectant crowd surrounding them our hero looked at him in perplexity but he was at once checked and his attention was called to mr Lyadkin jr who was holding out his hand to him they want to reconcile us thought our hero and with emotion he held out his hand to mr Lyadkin jr and then then bent his head forward towards him the other mr Lyadkin did the same at this point it seemed to mr Lyadkin senior that his perfidious friend was smiling that he gave a sly hurried wink to the crowd of onlookers and that there was something sinister in the face of the worthless mitchigliatkin jr that he even made a grimace at the moment of his judas kiss there was a ringing in mitchigliatkin's ears and a darkness before his eyes it seemed to him that an infinite multitude an unending series of precisely similar gliatkins were noisily bursting in at every door of the room but it was too late the resounding treacherous kiss was over and then quite an unexpected event occurred the door opened noisily and in the doorway stood a man the very sight of whom sent a chill to mr Goyakin's heart he stood rooted to the spot a cry of horror died away in his choking throat yet mr Goyakin knew it all beforehand and it had a presentiment of something of the sort for a long time the new arrival went up to mr Goyakin gravely and solemnly mr Goyakin knew this personage very well he had seen him before had seen him very often had seen him that day this personage was a tall thick-set man in a black dress-coat with a good-sized cross on his breast and was possessed of thick very black whiskers nothing was lacking but the cigar in the mouth to complete the picture yet this person's eyes as we have mentioned already sent a chill to the heart of mr Goyakin with a grave and solemn air this terrible man approached the pitiable hero of our story our hero held out his hand to him 
the stranger took his hand and drew him along with him with a crushed and desperate air our hero looked at him yes it's christian ivanovitch rutenspatz director of medicine and surgery your old acquaintance yakov petrovitch a detestable voice whispered in mr lyadkin's ear he looked around it was mr lyadkin's twin so revolting in the despicable meanness of his soul and malicious indecent joy shone in his countenance he was rubbing his hands with rapture he was turning his head from side to side in ecstasy he was fawning round every one in delight and seemed ready to dance with glee at last he pranced forward took a candle from one of the servants and walked in front showing the way to mr goyadkin and christian ivanovitch mr goyadkin heard the whole party in the drawing-room rush after him crowding and squeezing one another and all beginning to repeat after mr goyadkin himself it's all right don't be afraid yakov petrovitch this is your old friend and acquaintance you know christian ivanovitch rutenspitz at last they came out on the brightly lighted stairs there was a crowd of people on the stairs too the front door was thrown open noisily and mr lyakin found himself on the steps together with christian ivanovitch at the entrance stood a carriage with four horses that were snorting with impatience the malignant mr lyakin jr in three bounds flew down the stair and opened the carriage door himself Prestyan ivanovitch with an impressive gesture asked mr lyakin to get in there is no need of the impressive gesture however there are plenty of people to help him in faint with horror mr lyakin looked back the whole of the brightly lighted staircase was crowded with people inquisitive eyes were looking at him from all sides osovy ivanovitch himself was standing in the easy chair on the top landing and watching all that took place with deep interest every one was waiting a murmur of impatience passed through the crowd when mr lyakin looked back i hope i have done nothing nothing reprehensible what they can call for severity and general attention in regard to my official relations our hero brought out in desperation a clamor of talk rose all around him all were shaking their head tears started from mr lyakin's eyes in that case i am ready i have full confidence and i entrust my fate to christian ivanovitch no sooner had mr lyakin declared that he entrusted his fate to christian ivanovitch than a dreadful deafening shout of joy came from all surrounding him and was repeated in a sinister echo through the whole of the waiting crowd then christian ivanovitch on one side and andrei filipovitch on the other helped mr lyakin into the carriage his double in his usual nasty way was helping to get him in from behind the unhappy mr goyakin senior took his last look on all and everything and shivering like a kitten that had been drenched with cold water if the comparison may be permitted got into the carriage christian ivanovitch followed him immediately carriage door slammed there was a swish of the whip on the horses backs the horses started off the crowd dashed after mr goyakin the shrill furious shouts of his enemies pursued him by way of good wishes for his journey for some time several persons were still running by the carriage that bore away mr goyakin but by degrees they were left behind till at last they all disappeared mr goyakin's unworthy twin kept up longer than any one with his hands in the trouser pockets of his green uniform he ran on with a satisfied air skipping first to one then to the other side of the carriage sometimes catching hold of the window frame and hanging on by it poking his head in at the window and throwing farewell kisses to mr goyakin but he began to get tired he was less and less often to be seen and at last vanished altogether there was a dull ache in mr lyakin's heart 
A hot rush of blood set Mr. Gatkin's head throbbing. He felt stifled. He longed to unbutton himself, to bare his breast, cover it with snow and pour cold water on it. He sank at last into forgetfulness. When he came to himself, he saw that the horses were taking him along an unfamiliar road. There were dark patches of copse on each side of it. It was desolate and deserted. Suddenly he almost swooned. Two fiery eyes were staring at him in the darkness, and those two eyes were glittering with malignant, hellish glee. "'That's not Krestjan Ivanovitch. Who is it? Or is it he?' "'It is. It is Krestjan Ivanovitch. But not the old Krestjan Ivanovitch. It's another Krestjan Ivanovitch. It's a terrible Krestjan Ivanovitch. Krestjan Ivanovitch! I, I, I believe I'm all right, Krestjan Ivanovitch.' Our hero was beginning timidly in a trembling voice, hoping by his meekness and submission to soften the terrible Krestjan Ivanovitch a little. "'You get free quarters, wood with light, and service, the which you deserve not,' Krestjan Ivanovitch's answer rang out, stern and terrible as a judge's sentence. Our hero shrieked and clutched his head in his hands. Alas, for a long while he had been haunted by a presentment of this." The end. End of chapter 13. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida. End of the Double by Fedor Dostoevsky. Translated by Constance Garnett.